0: So this morning, as we continue on in our uh, study, uh, our theme this year is moving from the common to the what? To the uncommon. And our theme verse is 2 Corinthians 5.18. All of this is from God, who through Christ is reconciling us to Himself and giving us this ministry of reconciliation. And so... I felt like, well, let's talk about this. Why are we talking about being uncommon versus being common? And we came up with five crucial characteristics. So crucial. We put in those modifiers so you really want it, right? Uh, I don't know that it's a comprehensive list. I don't, I don't claim divine unction on this. Uh, it's just five things. Uh, the Lord may give you something else in all of this. But we're going to examine these five. And so this morning, just real quickly in review... Uh, We started with purpose, that to know your purpose before Christ is to make yourself uncommon. Many people today don't understand their purpose. They don't know their purpose. They long for their purpose. Selflessness is uncommon in our society for sure. And, uh, well, disparagingly enough, it's kind of uncommon within the church sometimes as well. And I, I just thank God that Uh, We see a lot of selflessness here at Concord Bible, that that God's working in the midst uh, of us. Next is faith. We spent, I think, 14 weeks on this subject. You had great faith sticking with it. Uh, It was very rewarding. Today we talk about risk. And and that's, how many of you have ever heard a sermon on risk? How does risk factor into this? And so today, get ready. You might hear something fresh, something new. And then we will uh, go to Moving Mountains uh next week some of you how many of you ever moved a mountain raise your hand how many of you were here when i moved from clayton to here because if you were and you participated you moved a mountain okay that was an unbelievable feat and uh i i'm pretty sure we're locked into staying wherever we are now for like life so this morning i want to ask you a question first of all i have a quote for you that uh that comes from my magic bag of quotes but it's It is profound to say the least. And I want you to contemplate this. Our contemporaries would like to live in a risk-free world. Let's just stop for a second. I even contemplated wearing a safety helmet up here just to demonstrate this point. You know, your kids can't play tag at school anymore because it's just too dangerous, right? How many of you grew up without being in a car seat? Raise your hand. If you're here this morning, you grew up without being in a car seat. Wake up, okay? Right? But now everybody's got... And, and then the, the, the diabolical pressure builds, right? Because it used to be what? Okay, I get it for an infant, right? And then maybe five years old. But then, like, I'm, I kid you not, it's going to go to 14 soon. Right? And uh, good luck with that. Um, I, uh, there are things about risk... That people just build on fear. And they want us to live in this world of fear that will immobilize us while they get to profit off of it. You know, the fascinating thing is spiritually, that's how Satan works. And Satan desires to immobilize us spiritually, and then he profits off of it. And that's why I think this is crucial, this idea of risk. And we're going to look at Scripture today. Here's the fascinating thing. We'll finish the quote here in a second. But as you're going through a topical, we're, we're doing five weeks, six weeks of topical here. You know, it's something that I, I, don't, I don't lean that way. I lean towards expository because, in all honesty, it's a lot easier. Um, it, it makes you lock into that passage. You, you exposit that passage. You can't really mess things up too badly uh, if you kind of know what you're doing. Topically, though, you've got to kind of go out there and you've got to find your scripture for your subject. And you can get into the hinky meter peaking uh, sometimes when you do that. So uh, we've chosen a passage this morning that I really believe does speak to this issue of risk. I think it's very relevant. I think it's very pertinent. And I think it fits. It definitely fits with where we have been recently. And you'll see that in a moment. Let's finish the quote. Followers of Jesus must learn to swim against the tide of risk phobia. We walk in the footsteps of the one who said, I lay down my life for the sheep. How many of you have heard of Ethrium? Anybody? It's so exciting to me. As a teacher, you will walk away today having learned something. I don't know how much that's going to impact your life, but you will learn something today. Ethrium was the sixth son of David. He was born in Hebron. David uh, was in Hebron for a while. He was centered there in Hebron. And then he moved to Jerusalem, the holy city on Zion. You see, Ethereum had a brother. A brother named Solomon. How many of you are familiar with Solomon? Right? Oh, now we're talking, right? As I did my calculations, if I did them correctly, Solomon was the tenth brother in the family And you know, in in Jewish tradition, usually you'd know a lot more about the 1st, 2nd, 5th, 6th, than you would the 10th or 12th. Fascinating how spiritual risk plays into all of this. When you think about Solomon, you're talking about the heir to the throne of Israel. If you know anything about how uh, uh, the Jewish mindset or culture works, you know that it would have been the first born that should have inherited that throne and yet it went all the way down to the tenth isn't that fascinating it's compelling he was an infamous general he wasn't just seen as a as a general in our own scriptures but uh there are histories there are accounts of solomon and his uh his ability to pick strategic places to set up great throngs of chariots and forces and garrisons he controlled the access by the north and northeast of the assyrians and he kept them at bay by his garrisons at megiddo Uh, and scott you've been at megiddo you remember those those stables that they found and then he also was able to hold off the egyptians from the south during his time the nation of israel thrived it had its largest section of borders under solomon Incredible work as a general. And he's listed in other histories because of that. He's the king of Israel during its height of nationalism. Uh, Israel just thrived under Solomon. People sent tribute. The queen of Sheba sent tribute to Solomon because of how famous he was. Very uncommon. He was known for his what? His great wisdom, right? That's probably how you first heard of Solomon, right? How many of you heard the story about the, you know, the two women fighting... That's one of those rare moments in Scripture where you have two women fighting. I'll move on. He was an author of Scripture. Isn't that fascinating? Now, how would you like to be Etherim and live in that shadow? Oh, hey, Ethrium. Heard your brother Solomon just wrote a book of the Bible. What isn't he doing? Thanks a lot, Solomon. Just another thing that I'm not able to do, I'm not able to accomplish. The great Solomon. If Solomon was your brother, do you think you'd be thinking those things? Do you think you might struggle living in the shadow of Solomon? Maybe that's why you don't know a whole lot about Ethereum. By the way, Solomon was the builder of the first great temple. And some scholars, some archaeologists believe that that temple was even grander than Not necessarily on scale, but in its opulence than the second century temple. David wanted to build the temple and he tried and what happened? He ended up in some big time heat with the Lord. But Solomon was called to build the temple. It was given to him to do it. And he incurred some great risks in making that attempt. Talk about risks. Solomon was a ladies man. I don't want to think about what Valentine's Day was for this guy. It's a little scary. But here's a picture of the temple as they, they pictured it, as they listed the, the uh, itemization and descriptors out of, out of uh, the, the various passages that talk about the temple at that time. It was beautiful. It was absolutely beautiful. So, how many of you, in a rhetorical question, identify with Ethereum? You're just common. You're the person living in the shadow of your brother or your sister or your parents or whoever. Well, maybe you can't relate to those two. So let me give you something that maybe you can. Fred Claus. It's always fun doing something like that because I I, I now know who in the room knows what I'm talking about. This is my new favorite Christmas movie. Has been for about uh, three years. You know, other than the nativity and the Jesus part of all of it. Of course, that's my favorite part. But if you want some levity and just some backing away from all of the commercialism, Fred Claus, kind of a cool movie. And Vince Vaughn uh, is the brother of St. Nick. He's the brother of Santa Claus. And uh, so here's the problem with Fred. (laughs) You know, during first service, I told everybody I didn't remember his name. And it's right there on the screen. I just realized that. That's just, that's brilliance. Uh, He was always living in the shadow of his brother in this movie. And it drove him nuts, actually. It drove him to be less than what he was, was supposed to be. He was always settling for mediocrity. He always had something in the fire. He always had something cooking. But it never panned out. He never really accomplished anything. And the reason is, is because he was always living in that shadow of his brother. And he hated his brother for it. So what's fascinating is there's this scene in the movie... Oh, you know, Santa Claus, his brother Nick, he was always casting a shadow of greatness. Because that's what Nick was called to. There's this scene in the movie, here they're having dinner together, and uh, but, you know, Vince is having a hard time being the brother, so he goes to a, I'm the brother of co-op identity support group. And what's hilarious about this is it's, is it's brothers of famous people, like Frank Stallone is in there. Um, there's a guy that looks like Johnny Depp's brother. That I think he's on the left there. That's supposed to be Ed Harris's brother on the on the right. And and uh, there's a whole scene with um, Stephen Baldwin freaking out because he thinks somebody else in the circle is Alex. You know, and he hates Alex, and Alex has been beating him down for years. Now the fascinating thing about you're saying, Pastor, where is this going? I don't need to know about Fred Claus. The fascinating thing, and and as ironic as it is, there's a there's a pivot moment in this time, in this circle, where a very famous person stands up and talks. And it's the actual person. Mr. Clinton. But not Bill Clinton. It's his brother, Roger Clinton. You guys remember Roger Clinton? It's kind of a train wreck. And they were always trying to keep him under wraps. He was, there was always some kind of story that was coming out that could have damaged Bill. And so in this movie, Roger steps up and he says, You know, at first, I was always angry at my brother. I hated living in the shadow of my brother. You know, he was so loved by everybody. He was doing these great things. And who was I? I was nobody. He said, But something I learned was, I could take my brother down through my actions. Or I could love my brother. And because of my love for my brother, I could support him and make him successful. And that was kind of the pivot point for Fred, where he decided to take some risks and go back and help his brother. And you'll have to watch the movie and see how it ends. It's the feel-good movie of 2007. This morning, let's get into the passage, something more poignant, something that we can really learn from. But as we get ready to do so, just remember... Risk, spiritual risk leads us from the path of the common to the uncommon if we ask ourselves today where are we I have a question for you did you smell something in particular when you came in this morning anything nothing you didn't smell this Hmm. How many of you are hungry now? How many of you wish this was popped? How many of you are frustrated it's not? Yeah. This is the second time I've talked about it and I'm getting hungrier. You know, here's the fascinating thing is that this is nice and secure and safe. It's ready for use some undetermined later time. And it's just ready. And there's boxes all over America with similar containers just sitting there, ready. Ready. We'll get back to this. Let's get to the Scripture this morning. John 21, 1-11. You're going to hear some familiar things out of this passage. I've used it multiple times, but I think it really fits with where we're going this morning with the idea of risk. Scripture says this, John 21, 1-11. After this, Jesus revealed Himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And He revealed Himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two others of His disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. I don't know if you really said it that way, but you'll see what I mean by that in a second. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, "'It's the Lord!' When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far off from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread." Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. This morning I want to challenge you to throw yourself into the sea. I want to challenge you to throw yourself into the sea, Peter style. Let's look at what this is all about. Number one, spiritual risk rejects a place of contentment. We're in verses 4 through 6. And the idea I want you to start to wrestle with is this, this picture that the disciples had returned to fishing because it was what? It was familiar. You see, here's the fascinating chronology of what's happened. And you may find yourself in this familiar place. The disciples had been asked by Christ to get out of a boat some of those same disciples, and to come and what? Follow him, and he will make them fishers of men. You see, Jesus had a specific calling for them. They were professional fishermen. And yet Jesus said, I have something different for you now, and it's going to require risk. You're going to have to choose whether or not you want to follow Me. In a moment, we'll look at Matthew 16 and what that requires. Now, here's the fascinating thing. The resurrection has happened. If you go to Matthew 28, you can see this. You don't have to right now, but just know where we're going. Jesus has risen from the dead. Mary comes to the tomb and an angel tells her He is no longer here. And then the the angel says something fascinating. He says, tell the disciples... To go to Galilee. Leaving a message. As Mary's running back, she has an encounter with Jesus. She doesn't know it's Jesus' first. At first. And yet then, Jesus reveals to her that it is Him. And Jesus says to her the same message. Tell the disciples to go to Tiberias and to wait for Me. So the disciples have obeyed, but they're waiting. Is that a challenge for you and I? If we've heard the call of the master, if we've heard his voice, and yet he tells us to go in a direction and to wait, would we not return to plan B like Peter did? Here goes Peter again, right? These guys are gathered, they're waiting, they're obeying, and it's taking too long. An impulsive Peter says what? I've had enough of this. I'm going fishing. You know what he's saying, right? He's saying I'm going back to my old job because this doesn't seem to be working out. Do you see that? Do you hear that? So he goes out in the boat, and what do the other guys do? Fine, we're coming with you. Worked out real well for them, didn't it? Caught a lot of fish that night. You see, when Jesus calls you to risk spiritually, he doesn't ask you to go backwards to plan B. He doesn't ask you to go from the uncommon back to the common. Jesus had called them for a specific reason and a specific purpose. And he's asking them to trust him. And he's asking them to risk everything. And yet in the midst of all this, they have this imperfect moment where they say, let's go back to what was safe. Let's go back to complacency. Let's go back to what we know. What was familiar. The disciples were called to what they were doing. And here's what's fascinating. If you look at what they were doing out in the boat, they had no business being out there, but they're just, they're, they're filling time. What I want you to truly see is that they hadn't given up in process, had they? You see, they get a message. They never heard it directly from Jesus. They heard it indirectly through other people. That they were to leave Jerusalem. They were to travel for several days and get up to the north into the Galilee region. And they were to wait. Jesus would meet them there. Where are they? Are they in Jerusalem when we pick up the story? No. The disciples have risked the comfort of the people that they were staying with and who they knew. And they had evacuated that. And they had left to go up and potentially meet Jesus who had not yet encountered them. The disciples were called to what they were doing. Jesus told them indirectly, go, go, get there. Get out of your complacency. Get there. I will come meet you. That's hard stuff, isn't it? For many of us, we wrestle with choices. With our jobs. We wrestle with choices with relationships. We probably wrestle with choices spiritually. What do we do? How do we know if God's really speaking to us? How do the disciples know without Jesus directly telling them? And that question fits perfectly with this story. Let's let's keep asking some questions. The idea is that there was a calling to them. He had spent three years investing in them and telling them what would happen. I would imagine if somebody had spent three years telling me all about a a moment that would come together in its finality within about three to four days, or maybe even just a a whole week, that now I've got some time to think about it, right? And it's all starting to crystallize. It's all starting to make sense. And now I'm starting to say, that's what he meant. That's what he meant. You see, because when you walk with Jesus, you move from the common to the uncommon. You're hearing things you don't normally hear, and you hear often a calling from Jesus. The question is, is it His voice? We've got a lot of people that make decisions that they say it's Jesus, and He's nowhere in the decision, my friends. Scripture even teaches us this in First, uh, first Titus. Yes, First Titus. Titus 1 uh, we've been examining this uh, earlier in the year or, or in the fall of last year. In verses 10 through 11, it speaks about those who come in with deceitful ways and, and their own self absorbed teaching for their own self gain, and they worm their way into homes, and they're destroying families. <coughs> and they're, they're telling people in the name of Christ to do things, to uh, say things, to give things. Because they say that's what Jesus wants you to do. And yet Jesus has nothing to do with those statements. We have a lot of people in the world today doing that, right? My friends, let me just encourage you, if you feel God calling you into spiritual risk, make sure it's God. Make sure it's God. And we're going to have some cyclical teaching here. How, how do you answer that question my question, if, if I'm sitting where you are, well, how do I know it's God? We'll get there. We'll get there in this passage. But let me just encourage you. You have to be very, very careful about placing the words of God and His directives for your life into the hands of men. Now, God will use people. Right? He used Mary to send the message. He used the disciples to send the message to other people. And in a moment, you're going to see how He disguises Himself in front of the disciples and tells them to cast their nets. Why would He do that? Well, sometimes He reveals Himself just straight up. You'll get your message straight from the Spirit. Other times, you're going to get that challenge to move from the common to the uncommon, to take a spiritual risk, to move out of complacency, like the disciples, to move out of Jerusalem and go to Galilee and wait. Sometimes it's going to come other ways other than just through Christ. He will be in that. The challenge for you and I is to know the truth of His voice whether it's through Scripture, whether it's through prayer, or whether it's through wise, godly people that are around us. Folks, we have people that say Jesus told them to gather a whole bunch of stuff or Y2K. Remember Y2K? We have people that have lost their entire savings because they felt Jesus told them to do something. We have people that have married the wrong person because they felt Jesus told them to do something. Jesus wasn't there. Jesus wasn't in that. So there's a huge spiritual risk in what we're talking about this morning. You want to move from the common to the uncommon. Let me just tell you what common is. Common is a heap of destroyed lives that have been at the hands of the enemy that wants to deceive us. Mask himself like Christ. But to be in the uncommon, we have to know the voice of the One that's calling us. Often, we can know the difference because there's an un... like I say on the the Scripture or on the screen... There's an unmitigated convenience for the person telling you what Jesus wants for your life. Beware of that person. There's a great quote by a gentleman named Henry Fairlie of the Washington Post. And he says this, There is a lesson here for the church of our Lord. Many good works go wanting for fear of the risk involved. Some Christians will not become soul winners because of the risk of being hurt. Others have never given liberally to God because of fear of poverty. Elders refuse to become involved in domestic and world evangelism because they might not succeed. Another won't defend the truth for the same reason. No doubt, but, the, but what the fear of risk has killed many good programs in the church. There is no fear of risk for Christ. He knew that he came into the world to die for all. He asked His followers to deny themselves daily and take up their crosses and walk. There will always be some perils, but think of the risks if we don't. Great quote. Great statement. Lastly, Jesus' voice versus a fool's voice. When you're trying to seek what God's telling you, make sure it lines up with Scripture. Jesus will never tell you something that's counter to what He's already said. When you're doing so, make sure you're being prayerful about it. And a little bit of encouragement, move into the uncommon. If there is spiritual risk involved, I encourage you, demand that the Lord show Himself in it. That's the key, my friends. And we're going to get to that point today. That's the key to knowing the voice of that calling. Is that if you're going to have to take a spiritual risk, you lean on the Lord, not on your own understanding. And you ask Him to show up and prove Himself. And He will. Just like He does in this story. That's why we've chosen this story. Throw yourself into the sea, Peter style. Spiritual risk lives in a place of abandonment. Peter abandoned convenience he abandons the conventional peter demonstrates the reality of knowing jesus he jumps out of the boat again there goes peter again jumping out of the boat now let me just ask you how that work the first time not so good You would think that Peter would have a little bit of an ocean phobia at this point. Now the fascinating thing is that the way that the story reads, the way the scripture reads, is that it says that he literally, let's, let's look at it. Verse 7, the disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. Folks, are you picturing this boat? Because, you know, they're talking to some guy on shore. I'm picturing like from here to the parking lot or, you know, something. It says that they were a 100 yards offshore. I've been to the Sea of Galilee, Galilee. It's not like he's going to jump out of the boat and he's in waist-high water. And here's the fascinating thing. Peter does something here that demonstrates to us a depth of understanding of what he's wrestling with. Who said, let's go fishing? Peter did. What was the result? Nothing. And his bunch of bandicoots followed him. And they spent the night getting zero results. Jesus shows up, says, cast your nets on the other side. And they get a record catch. you think Peter's reminded of who's in control. Do you think Peter's reminded of the spiritual risk at stake? Do you think he contemplates what's going on? I do, and I think the reason we know this and we can camp out on it is he doesn't jump in the water immediately. You see, when Jesus showed up, he caught Peter dressed for the wrong kind of work. He caught Peter dressed for the common. Peter, in all of his brilliance, listened to the wrong voice, right? Right? He listened to the wrong voice and he went back to what he knew. He went back to what is familiar. And many of us may be sitting in that right now. You may have come from another church where you got burnt. You're saying, I'm not going to get involved because I got burnt. So I'm going to sit safely, and this is my act of spiritual service to the Lord. Many of you have struggled in relationships. Many of you have struggled in your jobs. Many of you, and on and on and on it goes. Many of you have trusted God with something and you fell flat on your face. And so you're just sitting there with plan B. Dressed for plan B. The question is, when Jesus shows up, are you going to hear His voice? And when you do hear His voice, are you going to throw on your formal wear like Peter did? See, Peter didn't want to walk up to Jesus dressed as a fisherman. Which makes no sense, right? Like, I'm going to throw on my formal water and then I'm going to jump into the sea. Right? Doesn't that show you where his mind was at? He knew that he went back to the common when he had been called to the uncommon. And so he abandons what? He abandons what he used to be. He abandons this idea of being that fisherman. He abandons convenience. Complacency. Folks, when you abandon that, it looks a certain way. Now the first thing that happens is this. Who recognized Jesus' voice? Was it Peter? It was John. John recognized Jesus' voice. At least he declared so. Now how many of you, in a moment where you're seeing God at work, yet not everybody around you is, how many of you are standing up and proclaiming it, or do you suddenly, you're right there, you're at the cusp, being like, yeah, what if it's not? Can I just tell you, we just introduced you to spiritual risk. This is what, this is what it means. John didn't hesitate. Why? Do you remember how John was recruited by Jesus? Hmm. He's in a boat. He's in a boat with James. What are they doing? They're fishing. Jesus is walking by on the shoreline. Same thing happens. He tells him to cast a net. And then he says, come, follow me. I will make you fishers of... Men. So when a stranger is walking along the seashore and they're waiting for Jesus, they don't recognize Him and a voice calls out, hey, cast your, cast your net on the other side of the boat and look at what happens. This is what I'm talking about, folks. This is how you know the voice of your Master. Because there's a familiarity that speaks not to your convenience, not to the convenience of the individual, but to a higher calling. And Jesus is reminding John, He's reminding the disciples, you're not fishermen. And that moment of tension where you have to say, my credibility is on the line. Because come on, which one of us knowing that we didn't recognize Jesus at first is going to yell, it's Jesus? Wouldn't you be sitting there wrestling in your mind, doubting? Well, if it's Jesus... I mean, it certainly seems like Jesus. It seems so familiar that it's Jesus. But how come I didn't recognize Him? Uh, I don't know if I'm going to say anything. But don't you love being the person that got it right? That's the uncommon person. And the only way you get to where John was is because why? Because you know your Master's voice. Because when Jesus does things, when He calls you to things, they ring of familiarity. How are you going to know that voice? Get in the Word of God. And start acting in spiritual risk that's commanded by Christ. Not just doing things for the sake of doing them. Second, the disciples risk their pride by listening to a calling. They throw the the nets on the other side. I don't know how many of you, but you know, Dale's a, Dale's a pilot, Lyndon's an accountant, um, Cindy's a schoolyard monitor, Nathaniel's a computer guy, uh, Scott's a plumber. How excited would you be about some junior hire walking up to you at your job, telling you how to do your job? You're going to be really enthralled with what they have to say? This story has nothing to do with this, but it kind of rings somewhat, so I'm just going to tell you anyway. My friends took me to go skiing when I was in high school, freshman year. I didn't know how to ski. So what do they do? They teach me how to snowplow. You guys know what snowplowing is, right? So once I could demonstrate the finer arts of snowplow, guess what they did? Boom, you're on chair four, you're going to the top. And I spent the rest of my day getting off that mountain. And uh, uh, about halfway down... Uh, I'd introduced myself luxuriously, I don't even know if that's a word, luxuriously to the snow. The snow was my dear, close, intimate friend over and over and over. And on one of these particular times where I was getting very close with the snow, I was laying in it again and up skis a five-year-old with the hockey stop and sprays me with a bunch of snow. And then he says, you need some help, Mr.? Here's the beauty of, of that situation. He knew I couldn't get up to hit him. I'm trying to hit him with my pole and say, No, I don't need you. Get out of here, kid. There's this essence that if a stranger came along and told us what to do with our job, we would just get out of here. Who do you think you are? If the disciples listened, and they, reward, they were rewarded for listening rather than following their own pride. They were rewarded rather than following their own pride. Let me ask you this question. Or let me just give you this statement. To believe God can do something miraculous is one thing, to risk his willingness to do it in your life is another. It's another. Would you know Jesus' voice calling? John 10:14 says, "I know my sheep and my sheep know my voice." Folks, we have to get familiar with that voice if we're going to make any spiritual risks. And if we make the spiritual risk, we're following the calling that God has for us. We move out of the common into the uncommon. We're right in that spot that He has for us. There is no greater spot. There is no greater place. To the point where the person who failed miserably walking on water throws on his best outfit that he's got with him and jumps headlong into the water. He can't wait for the boat to get to the shore. That's how I want to live. That's how I want to live. Peter risks a lot by jumping in that water but he's drawn to Christ because he loves Him. And because he knows of the goodness and the abilities of Christ to affect his life. That dictated Peter's action of abandoning that which was convenient, that which was familiar. Would you respond and what would that look like? This is my big practical question today for you. If Jesus called you to risk something spiritually, would you respond? And what would that look like? That's something for you to circle and contemplate and, and talk through and, and pray about later. Spiritual risk moves to a place of accomplishment, verses 9 through 11. A risky decision results in great success. You know, we, we've talked about this Matthew 16 passage where he says, if anyone wants to follow me, they have to deny themselves and take up their cross uh, they have to lose their life to gain it, and if they gain their life, they'll lose it. This is what they were called to. And so, they, they make this risky decision, and it results in great success. Now, how many of you would say and determine that the success was the fish? And not just some fish. It, it was 157. It was a record catch. And it wasn't just small fish. It was huge fish. Jesus just proven a point. You see, sometimes we don't want to take those spiritual risks because it means I'm going to have to deny myself. I'm going to have to take the hard road. Yes, that's exactly what Christ said. And did the disciples do that? Absolutely. But in a moment of just proving himself to them, to reestablishing the confidence, what does he do? He says, you think you used to fish well? Let me just show you what I can do. Let me remind you who's in control. Let me remind you who can bless you abundantly far more beyond what any any action you could possibly do. And here's this great accomplishment. Not in their strength, but in His. You see, that's how you know the Master's voice. When some great accomplishment goes so far beyond what you can do, what you can make happen, and Jesus comes to them, just kind of toying with them. Isn't that fascinating? He, just, he kind of veils himself. And he starts this conversation with them. And then he says, hey, really? Think you're going to go back to your old job, huh? Think we're done? Think this isn't happening? How's that working for you? How many fish you caught? None. Hey, why don't you throw your net on the... Are you... Did you get the load of this guy? Who is this guy? I don't know. We haven't caught any fish. Just throw it on the right side of the boat. Boom! John, it's Jesus. Because there's no way we could do this. My friends, you have to take stock of the moments when Christ shows up in your life. So when those spiritual risks come and those times of decision come for us, you know his voice. And you don't end up suffering. Risking contentment for abandonment for Christ results in the uncommon. What's that look like? Well, are you seeing Christ's blessing because of your willingness to risk? I know some of you are. Let me ask right now, the biggest spiritual risk you can ever take is placing your faith in Jesus Christ over your soul. Are you ready to do that if you haven't already? And I get it. The boat is safe. The boat's real safe. It makes all conventional wisdom to stay in the boat. Look, we have two oars. We have eight oars. I don't know how many oars they had, but they had something to paddle the boat over to the shore. Why do you got to jump out of the boat? You know, if Peter doesn't jump out of the boat, it's a pretty boring story, isn't it? You want to settle for complacency spiritually? Can I just encourage you? It's not complacency it's death there's much more at stake than complacency it is eternal death so your first big spiritual risk get that one right get christ in your life secondly know the voice of your master stop listening to these voices that say that they're representing jesus christ measure that against scripture measure that in prayer And ask Jesus to show up. Remember, I I told you that, right? That was a key. Ask Jesus to show up. Hey guys, we're done fishing. We're going to start doing all this discipleship work again. What? Why are we doing that? Oh yeah, we got 157 fish here and we can't really pull that one off on our own. Hello? It's Jesus and He's showing up again. Spiritual risk moves you from the common to the uncommon. Are you ready to accomplish more? than you can possibly imagine. There's a great verse with this in Ephesians 3, 20-21. And I'll just say the first part. Now to Him who can do far more, immeasurably more than we could possibly imagine. And then it goes on to say to His glory, and, and so on and so forth. That is our God. That is your Christ. And the challenge for you and I today, when we're wrestling with this idea of risk, why risk? Because it is Risky! He's asking you to move out of the boat and jump out and follow. But our churches are filled with complacent believers. There are things precious, not from the materials of which they are made, but from the risk and difficulty of bringing them to perfection. See, our churches are filled with People that are worried about taking spiritual risks. Because what if Christ asks me to do something I'm really not comfortable with? And expect full nets. Expect full nets. Now, you all had a really positive reaction to this. Look, I can do it in reverse. Pretty tricky, huh? This just made you want something. But this has been made into what it's supposed to be. You know how this is made, right? First of all, God gives us a popcorn kernel. Any of you guys do the whole thing where you, you put it in? It's like the old style, not microwave, like, you know, you put it in a thing and you, and you twist it over the fire, you know? Anybody have that rolling thing that you put it in? I have Dylan, so I just have him do that. No. Uh, but now we've moved into microwave popcorn. Do you know how violent that is? Microwavable popcorn takes that beautiful, beautiful yellow kernel. And next time you go to stick this bag into the microwave, understand what you're doing to that precious little kernel. Its molecules are going to be superheated and scrambled to the point of a violent explosion. All for your convenience. But guess what? It now serves its purpose because when it's this little kernel, I could care less. As a matter of fact, I hate it when some of those don't pop, right? And you, cl- you know, uh, right? It's like, why didn't you get to where you need to be? How come? So- no, that's fine. But seriously, can't you hear Jesus saying that to us? But some of us want to stay pre-wrapped. Don't put us in the microwave, it's too risky. There are things precious, not from the materials from which they are made, but from the risk and difficulty of bringing them to perfection. This is why risk made the list. I challenge you. Throw yourself into the sea. But do it like Peter did. Know that it's Jesus calling you. And then you'll see incredible accomplishments that are uncommon. Let me pray and dismiss you today. You'll never see popcorn the same way ever again. Lord, use this Scripture in our minds. Let us get excited about this picture of the disciples in the boat. It's real. It's They are so human. They are so us. I'm tired of waiting. I'm going to go back to doing what I used to do. This isn't working out. And yet you never give up on us. You never gave up on the disciples. And in your infinitely wise and teaching way you came to them in a perfect way to show that you had never left them and because of that accomplishment of showing them the fish it compelled Peter to risk everything and jump out of the boat again Lord let us consider how we might throw ourselves into the sea not as fools but as those who know and understand their calling. To Your glory, Lord. Amen.